Back in 2018, Jair Bolsonaro promised that if he won the presidency, he would not seek re-election, even pledging to support a bill outlawing consecutive terms for heads of executive branches. But that was just the first of many campaign promises that Bolsonaro threw in the bin. In fact, just months after settling in the presidential palace, he began talking about re-election, promising to rule the country for eight years. With a resilient support base, there is indeed every chance that the far-right leader could win re-election next year. But there are two major obstacles in his way. First, the resurgence of left-wing icon Lula has put Bolsonaro second in the polls. But perhaps the most pressing issue is that the president does not belong to a political party, and Brazilian elections don't allow for independent candidates. This means that, before trying to overcome Lula, Bolsonaro will have to pick a new party and settle down. But that is easier said than done. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report, this is explaining Brazil. Só digo uma coisa, só Deus me tira da cadeira presidencial. Brazil takes the idea of a pluralist democracy to the extreme, with a total of 33 legally registered political parties. In 2019, it seemed President Jair Bolsonaro would make it 34. Ewan Marshall, hello. Hi, Gustavo. So in 2019, Bolsonaro launched the idea of creating his own far-right party, the Alliance for Brazil. And I remember that at the inaugural convention, his supporters claimed that they were not just creating a new party. They were creating the greatest party in Brazilian political history. But then, almost two years later, the Alliance for Brazil seems dead and buried, and there's almost no chance of the party coming to life in time for the 2022 elections. Ewan, what happened to the dream? Right. Well, before we talk about Bolsonaro's quest to find a party, I think we need to rewind the tape a bit and explain exactly why he needs one in the first place. Before 2018, the political establishment regarded Jair Bolsonaro as something of a joke candidate. He was a backbencher who was running for office with no chance in hell of winning, simply throwing his hat in the ring to gain press attention. And he had trouble finding a party that was willing to take him on and back his candidacy. Because in 2018, most small right-wing parties were keen on allying themselves with the then Sao Paulo governor, Geraldo Alckmin, who's a centre-right moderate who was running for the mainstream Brazilian Social Democracy Party. And Bolsonaro's own Social Christian Party decided to do just that, throwing its very modest weight behind Altman. So Bolsonaro switched to the Social Liberal Party, or the PSL. A political group that until 2018, few people, if any, had ever heard of. Exactly. Uh, between 1998, when it was founded, and 2014, the party had won a grand total of four congressional seats, never grabbing more than one per electoral cycle. 
And in 2006, when the party put forward its first ever presidential candidate, it received 62,064 votes. And that's 0.06% of all valid ballots. But they hit the jackpot by backing Bolsonaro in 2018. And why is that? So, on the coattails of Bolsonaro's popularity, the PSL actually became the second largest party in Brazil's lower house overnight, with a total of 53 seats, only one fewer than the centre-left Workers' Party, which is one of Brazil's very few grassroots political parties and which had won the last four presidential races. And all that thanks to Bolsonaro. So, even the PSL gained importance with Bolsonaro, and Bolsonaro won the presidency backed by the PSL. Win-win situation, right? Well, not exactly. Um, because Bolsonaro knew that outside of being the president's party, the PSL had little political importance. And he tried to pull off something of a palace coup, trying to seize control from the party's chairman, who had led the PSL since its foundation in 1998. And it's important for people to understand that political parties in Brazil often operate like private companies. I mean, they don't have chairmans in the traditional sense. These are more party owners who control everything that goes on, especially the hefty sums funneled through publicly financed parties and funds. Yeah, and that money was precisely what precipitated this feud within the PSL. Um, so with his plans for a palace coup spurned, Bolsonaro abandoned the PSL, leaving Brazil in the odd situation of having a sitting president unaffiliated to any political party. And that's when the idea of creating his own party came about. Exactly, and it was to be Brazil's first openly far-right political group. I mean, even its name, the Alliance for Brazil, was a nod to the National Renewal Alliance, which is the ersatz political party of the military dictatorship that ruled Brazil between 1964 and 1985. So the Alliance for Brazil declared its kind of core values as, you know, following Judeo-Christian religious values, ultra-neoliberalism, and the staunch opposition to gun control. And, you know, this imagery of firearms was everywhere, uh, because at the party's launch event, the organisers proudly displayed a plaque bearing the Alliance's logo, and it was made entirely out of bullets. And on the country's electronic voting machines, uh, the party wanted to be represented by the code 38 or 38, in reference to the 38 Smith & Wesson revolver. And just to clarify, when you say it was a far-right party, that's not us editorialising the term. I mean, it's a political science definition. Right, so according to Andreas Daphnos, who is a researcher on far-right groups at Sheffield University in the UK, a far-right group is constituted by, quote, the amalgamation of three ideological characteristics, nationalism, xenophobia, and authoritarianism. So in Bolsonaro's case, let's remember, his campaign slogan started with Brazil above everything, he had called uh, refugees the scum of the earth, and for as long as he has been in public office, Bolsonaro has defended right-wing dictators from history, such as Chile's Augusto Pinochet. So, yeah, he ticks all the boxes. Right, so Iwan, the Alliance for Brazil was an attempt to institutionalize Bolsonarism as a mainstream political force. And we actually saw a similar thing in France with Emmanuel Macron, 
Of course, Macron and Bolsonaro are very far apart in terms of ideology, but he too won the presidency in France as an outside force and then moved to create his own party, La République en Marche. But what stood in the way of Bolsonaro's project working? Well, simply put, creating a party in Brazil is very difficult. Uh, The process involves gathering the physical signatures of 500,000 voters from at least nine different states, and these signatures need to be notarised one by one. So it usually takes prospective parties years to clear that barrier. Um, But there was reason to believe that things would go smoother with Bolsonaro, uh, mainly because his group enjoys substantial support from religious groups, which could use churches to gather the required signatures. But... Well, yeah, a year and a half later, almost everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Um, Internal feuds kept the alliance from moving forward in late 2019. And then came the pandemic. Exactly. Uh, So far, the president's allies have gathered just 16% of the 500,000 signatures they need to set up the party. And a recent report showed that roughly 40% of these signatures they do have have been rejected either because the signatories are already members of another party or because their data didn't match up with the electoral records. So at the current pace, it would take something around 1 million signatures to get to the required number. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, The party was launched in 2019 with the hope of putting up candidacies in the 2020 municipal elections. But now it seems it won't even be able to get off the ground before the 2022 election because all parties must be duly registered and operational no more than six months before election day. So that means they have until about 10 months' time. And despite being sold as a way to moralize Brazilian politics, the Alliance for Brazil is already having its runnings with the justice system even before it is a a real thing. Yeah, so its deputy chairman is under investigation for taking part in anti-democratic demonstrations, uh, which supported a military coup and the closure of the Supreme Court. And he's also suspected of making illicit gains and having a shell corporation in Luxembourg. So, you know, Bolsonaro is starting to distance himself from the project. Uh, To give you an idea, the Alliance for Brazil hasn't really been in the news for months now. And the main sticking point for Bolsonaro is that Brazil does not allow independent candidacies. Now, Congress could change that, but we shouldn't expect that to happen in a country where parties are faced with so much mistrust it could further weaken them and make Brazilian politics even more fragmented. So what are the president's options at this point? Well, there are about five or six smaller parties which are more conservative-leaning and are part of Bolsonaro's support base. Now, these parties are members of the so-called Big Center, uh, which is a federation of historically less ideologically determined parties which lend their support to whatever government happens to be in power. But? But more recently, the Big Center is acting less like a kind of horse-trading group and, you know, it's shaping up to be a cohesive kind of pro-market right-wing political force. But there are still other hurdles to overcome. Uh, Of course, having a president at the top of their electoral ticket would be positive for any mid-shelf party. The problem is that President Bolsonaro comes with a lot of strings attached. Um, He doesn't want to be a party member, he wants to completely control a party and its funds. And he was recently turned down by a tiny Brazilian party precisely for that reason. And some of the parties who would be glad to have Bolsonaro as a re-election candidate 
they're already traditional political forces in Brazil. They're already well established in several states. So it wouldn't be an easy job for him to seize control over party leaders who, you know, they've been in power for years. And the parties that would be there for the taking, for a Bolsonaro power grab, are very small, you know. They have little presence in municipalities and states. So something's gotta give. Yeah, it seems so. Ewan, thank you very much. After the break, the challenges for Bolsonaro ahead of the 2022 elections. We'll be right back. You might have seen in the news that one of the US's largest pipelines was forced to shut down after being hit by a ransomware attack. This was a prime example of just how costly cyber attacks can be and how important it is to protect against them. With FastHelp, you can protect your company's virtual space. FastHelp is a Brasilia-based IT company that offers you the best tools against hacking and data breaches. Go to fasthelp.com.br for more information. That's fasthelp.com.br. Beatriz Hay is a research fellow at the Center for Latin American and Latino Studies at the American University in Washington, D.C. She also writes every week for the Brazilian Report. Beatriz, Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me again. It's a pleasure. So the most recent opinion polls ahead of the 2022 elections show Bolsonaro sitting in second place behind former President Lula, who recently had his convictions quashed by the Supreme Court and returned to the electoral fold. Now, when Lula first won the presidency in 2002, many credited that victory to the so-called letter to the Brazilian people which was a manifesto asserting that uh, he and his left-leaning party would protect big capital and they would respect all of the contracts the country had engaged in before he would take office. He immediately jumped into bed with the big center, forming a broad coalition that guaranteed him the ability to govern. So with Lula's conciliatory track record, does that put more pressure on Bolsonaro to settle down with a political party and start building alliances pronto? Well, so I think the first thing to be said in that sense is that he's going to have to settle down with a political party if he wants to run for the presidency, because he cannot run for the presidency without a political party. Um, so he should be thinking about that and making a decision very soon. Uh, the question about starting to be an alliance, to building, start building alliances, sorry, uh, is a different one. Uh, what I infer from his behavior so far is that he has uh, accommodated the interests of legislators, of lawmakers, uh, and we are seeing the way that he did that was perhaps not legal with the, the secret budget or the shadow budget or <laughs> whatever you want to call it. So he made, he, he was forced after not um, negotiating with Congress after not building any sort of coalition, he was forced to engage in building alliances with congressmen and congresswomen. So uh, he will he he has that option 
if he wants to win the election. Uh, and I think we can talk a little bit more about that in a second. But the question really is whether he needs to do that, because in when the election that gave him the presidency, he didn't necessarily do that. Right. He, he won the presidency basically running on a social media campaign without really having uh, alliances with parties at the state and the municipal level. And I don't know the extent to which that can be replicated. And we could talk a little bit more about that, but he needs to be start, he needs to be thinking about that right now if he wants to compete against an adversary as Lula, because the PT is the only party in Brazil that has the level of organization in 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 terms of entering the states and municipalities that gather votes. So he has to have that in mind. Now, one thing that is often overlooked in Brazil is the importance of local politics to nationwide races. I mean, it is important to have this structure for grassroots politics. Having mayors and congressional candidates campaigning for you is a big part of the race. Even if Bolsonaro didn't have a big part in 2018, he did benefit from grassroots efforts by local politicians. Is it still that important as of now? I mean, very important. Uh, we have a federalist system, right? So the, these these alliances at the local levels are very important, and we can see the importance of them. And when you look at how a lot of congressmen and congresswomen get elected, right? They they do that by relying on brokers uh, at the state and the municipal levels, especially the municipal level. So they have relationships with mayors and local legislators, uh, what we know as vereadores, and those people act as brokers in these localities to gather votes for them. Um, and so the same logic applies to the presidential election, giving a little bit more weight to the governors in this case, right? Yeah, you can at least until the until Bolsonaro's election, we didn't think it was possible for somebody to win the presidential election without cultivating these relationships. Can it be replicated? I don't know. We're we're about to find out. Now, what is so different about the current scenario as opposed to the one we had in 2018 when Bolsonaro shattered pretty much every single rule about what makes the path towards the presidency? Well, in that particular election, we were uh, we had a political system that was completely demoralized by Lava Jato, the car wash operation. We had corruption scandals that affected every single party and almost every politician, and that made the political system that made the the electoral the the citizens the the voters very skeptical of uh, politicians. And so you had, in, you, when you look at the congressional elections, you can see that you had longtime politicians that lost their seats because people were skeptical about voting for people that were part of the political elite. And Bolsonaro appeared at some, although he was in Congress for 30 years almost, he appeared as somebody uh, who, according to the, 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 the common sense who, who got him elected, according to the people who voted for him, that he was not involved with corruption and he was seen as an outsider, again, despite the fact that he was in Congress for many years. And so that gave him advantage in, in an election where the system was completely demoralized, that gave him an advantage. And I think that contributed uh, to, to the fact that he got elected without the party structure that we were just talking about. Now we have a situation in which Lava Jato, the car wash operation, is demoralized itself. And on the top of that, we had the pandemic and an executive that has been mostly absent from, from handling uh, public policy and enacting public policy to deal with the pandemic. But at the state and the municipal level, politicians have been doing their jobs. 
So it is possible that voters don't see the political system in, in a bad way as much as they did in, in 2018. So that's the scenario that Bolsonaro is going to encounter. Uh, not such, the, the system is not as demoralized as, as it was. Uh, it is possible that voters are more willing to trust politicians at the state and local level. When you think about, for instance, uh, the governor of Sao Paulo, João Dória, and his campaign for vaccination, it is possible that that has a positive effect in voters. And so what will happen? Will he be able to replicate that? To me, I don't think so. But um, we didn't think that he could be elected in 2018. So it's, it's an open question. Bolsonaro usually runs on the platform of being against everything that is traditional politics. How effective can that rhetoric be when, I mean, you are the head of state and by definition, the quote-unquote system? That's a, a great question. Uh, and we could think about that in the context of what happened with the elections here in the United States. Trump campaigned for re-election uh, along those lines, and he was the incumbent, and he lost. So and a lot of it was just... Uh, poor handling of the pandemic, I believe. Um, so he was not able to convince people, uh, at least the, the, and here I'm not talking about the core supporters, right, Gustavo? I'm talking about the people who are undecided. They, they weren't able to separate that he was the incumbent and, the, and with specifically with economic, uh, with the economic crisis and the pandemic that he was not able to do what he had to as the president. So it's hard. For, it's going to be hard for Bolsonaro to run on an anti-everything platform um, when he is the president, right? And another thing is, I think that we should think about is like what are, what exactly does he run for, right? He tried to create a party that was a pro-gun and pro-religion and anti-abortion and all the things that they promised. The party didn't take off. But what exactly is the ideology there? Uh, because in, I asked this question because the group of that supports Bolsonaro, like the the the, the religious people, the people who favor guns, they they not always uh, get along together, right? So it's not that you have a coherent group of people supporting him and a coherent platform coming out of this. So not only he doesn't have a party, not only he is the incumbent and he's trying to run against the system, but he also doesn't have a coherent policy platform. What are the chances? of him getting elected. Now, I'm not trying to be a contrarian here, but I find comparisons between Trump and Bolsonaro complicated, especially due to the fact that both the Brazilian and the American electoral systems are very different. I mean, by our rules here, Trump would have lost against Hillary Clinton in 2016. Plus, our levels of poverty and inequality are completely different. So I wonder if if vaccination picks up in Brazil and the country reaches a point closer to some sort of normality, wouldn't that make Bolsonaro a tough incumbent to beat? First of all, I think that's a very optimistic scenario, um, which I do not believe will happen, but uh, let's go with it. I, I think, again, I'm going to come back to the, the conversation about the party structure, right? Because 2018 was a very specific and unique election, I do not know if he can replicate that. And like, what I mean by that is, okay, so let's let's assume that all of that happens and people have positive views, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. But 
is he able to run against somebody as Lula? Because here the, the person who is running against him is very important, right? This is a person who has a party, who, as you said, has grassroots uh, uh, organization and is able to penetrate in every, like in almost every part of the Brazilian territory. How is he going to go against that without having a party or a party structure? Even if like he's going to join a party, but the party he's going to join probably will not have this structure, probably no, for sure will not have the structure that the PT has. How is he going to run against that? Right. So at this point, what is Bolsonaro's path towards victory? I think it all depends on um, the alignments that he made uh, in terms of parties, right? Um, it is not clear, I think, to any of us what, which party he's going to seek at this point. And I think if we're going to learn by experience in 2018, that all happened so quick and so out of the blue uh, with the PSL, who out of the blue gained a lot of seats in Congress. Um, that we can't really predict what he's going to do. Uh, I, I told you in the beginning that he did make some concessions to Congress and, and sort of try to organize as a base, organize a basis of support, um, and that might have happened illegally. Uh, but at the same time that he shows that he might adapt and he might engage in what are the practices that have been sustaining the, the Brazilian political system, he also sticks to this uh, polemic and anti-vaccine and, 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 and negate, negating uh, basic tenets of, of health and policy. So it's hard to predict how he's going to behave. Um, he, he might, and again, he might only have uh, engaged in negotiating with Congress uh, because he's also scared uh, of being impeached and he's scared of the corruption scandals that involves his sons, right? So it is hard to predict how he's going to behave. A lot of uh, the the next election is going to depend on um, what he decides to do in terms of the party and the party alignments. And it, he should know that because he knows that Lula is not a it's not a regular adversary, right? It's not just somebody with a strong party. It's also somebody that enjoys uh, a lot of charisma and 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 a lot of people like him as a person. So that's, that's hard to beat. Uh, it's a combination of just a strong party organization and charisma, and, and that's something that Lula has. Thanks for joining us, Beatriz, and I'm sure we'll speak to you again soon. If you like explaining Brazil, please rate us with five stars. That will help more people find out about this show. Or you can sign up to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <music>